passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around. Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way take the mic. Hello everybody, welcome to Rewind a Raw. It's John Pollock alongside Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. Hey John, how you doing? I'm doing swell. I am wondering about the locusts that are seeping into our pores as we speak. Oh wow. Um Yeah, as one often does. Yeah. The yeah. locusts. Yeah. We'll get to the locusts. Mm-hmm. There was um there's lots to dissect on uh tonight's edition of Raw. And we have a lot to get to. So let us dive right in. Where do you want to start, Way? How about the news, as usual? All right. Let's start with the news. And well, we'll get to this uh more during uh, the body of Raw, but um, one of the main things coming out tonight was an apparent injury to Ivar when he dove to the floor. Uh, I was just told that they went to the finish early, and you could see it was kind of just everyone was all over the place here at the end of this match. Ivar executed a suicide dive to the floor onto the Hurt Business, and you could see he immediately went down. There were people out there tending to him, and it was left with Cedric Alexander and Ricochet in the ring, and a very confusing ending where Ricochet kicked out of the uh, of the finish, but they just acknowledged it as a three count, so it seemed that they were probably just improvising or just uh, caught off guard by what was happening, but uh, I don't know how serious of an injury it is. Hopefully, we'll get an update on Ivar, but uh, we should mention that there. Yeah, I mean, um, honestly, like, I'm watching the match, and I didn't really think anything of it until they cut to the shot of the uh, EMTs, you know, looking over Ivar and realizing that, you know, that was never really a focused on spot of him, like, getting injured. So it must have been potentially legit, and it turns out it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so hopefully he's okay, and we will uh, continue to monitor that. Um, Earlier in the evening, uh, Dave Meltzer had a report that WWE has clarified um, some of their rules when it comes to third-party outlets. Uh, I didn't reach out to WWE to 
comment on this. I've not heard back from them yet, but Dave Meltzer's report stating that they have clarified to talent that they can maintain YouTube and Twitch accounts, providing they use their real names, not their WWE names. Uh, it's not known if there's other platforms that this exemption might be provided, but talent would have to inform the company of when they're operating these channels under their real names if they're launching them. But that would seem to be a small victory for the talent that can maintain, I would say, especially Twitch, but to a lesser degree, YouTube, um, because, you know, we know the what you know, the potential revenue is for some of these performers on Twitch. It's not um, what everyone's utilizing, but for, for some, it, it's it's notable. You know, a couple of questions. Um, There's it, a lot of questions, yeah. Is this different from what they stated before or what was... Like, because, because I mean, certainly there's been a bit of confusion regarding all of this because a lot of it has been vague. But the fears and concerns that this was stretching out to uh, real names, is this something that was misinterpreted or is it something that was changed? It it sounded like from uh, other reporting um, from several um, that I, I know that Dave Meltzer had reported that that Mark Carano had said about the real names and that. You know, we've also seen like that contract language as well. Like it's kind of this gray area. Not so much I feel that WWE can own your real name, obviously, but that they may be able to be able to control you marketing your legal name when you are under contract to them. That's that's a question I have about it. Um, it it sounds like the message to begin with was somewhat vague in its delivery like these third parties like what would that mean you heard talent over the weekend even you know some ch some were changing their their profile names others were stating that they didn't know what what this necessarily meant uh i think they had many questions because it was kind of vague in its nature if you go by wwe's statement about wanting that ability to go and negotiate with with some of these companies and negotiate as as a whole with your roster uh, it didn't make sense to them to have these individual deals that exist. Now, I don't know if it's maybe they're not looking at replicating their version of Twitch or dealing with Twitch, and they're just going to allow the talent to continue that. Uh, we don't know what this means for things like Cameo, for instance, or um, or, or any other ones. Uh, it just seems like YouTube and Twitch were the ones reported on that talent will be able to continue with, but not using their their WWE aliases. Yeah, Cameo was going to be my next question, um, because certainly there have been, you know, active members of the roster using their wrestling names on Cameo, and I would imagine that probably, I mean, I think WWE would have a right at that point to, like, raise some flags, but the fact that Cameo wasn't specifically listed, according to this report by Dave, definitely, it maybe is a bit interesting, although, like, if you put two and two together, I assume... Most talents will refrain from doing that. Now, what if it's a, what if it's like an AJ Styles who, you know, I guess I guess I don't even exactly know how those contracts work. Once you sign with the WWE, um, even though he came in with the name, does he give up rights um, to marketing, you know, himself under AJ Styles when doing something like Twitch or Cameo? Well, for for some, and I, I can't speak specific for AJ Styles. For some, it's a case of where you have a pre-existing identity that you can license it over for WWE to market during your time w w when you're there and have that kind of, uh, of licensing agreement. I mean, we, we look at, I, I mean, it's not the direct comparison, but I mean, 
Brock Lesnar recently had like a merchandising deal where, you know, they were able to market the intellectual property that is Brock Lesnar, but that's, that's his name. Um, I don't know specifically AJ Styles agreement, but his is one that, yeah, you, you would look at it's, it's an, it's a name that was not created by WWE. He would be free to use that if, if he left the company, uh, barring if he had made some deal to sign that over, which I cannot imagine the man would have done. So in that one, I would think he would be okay in that sense, but it comes down to what, what exactly the language is in the contract. If he signed a deal that allows WWE the exclusive licensing of AJ Styles while he is there under contract, doesn't mean he sold his name, but he's licensed it out. Uh, could WWE state we have the exclusive licensing rights to your name and therefore on something like Twitch, that is for this time period, our intellectual property. It, it's also like an interesting case to see like how far this might extend, you know, to I know like YouTube and Twitch are specifically mentioned, but I mean, there are plenty of members of the roster who might, you know, put an Instagram out here and there holding some sort of like protein, protein supplement or something like that. How far does something like this reach? And, um, you know, at some point, does WWE basically um, maybe let the wrestlers have these things? Um, because certainly, you know, there's been a, a great deal of outrage, uh, not just from the public, but from the roster themselves. And at what point, you know, is is all this kind of worth the hassle? Yeah, I think that it's it gets very complicated because even if you are allowing like YouTube and Twitch, I mean, over the next, you know, there's always going to be new technology, new outlets that are going to emerge and you're going to have your savvier talent that are on these platforms early on in their existence and trying to find that audience. And is WWE uh, going to be like, do you make just a blanket statement that restricts the, this and what is your ability? What what's your ability to to Enforce stop it. talent fr from doing all of this? Yeah, yeah. what are the enforcers like? Realistically, if we're talking about uh, someone at the level of an AJ Styles, like what are it, for for some of this talent? I mean, they are going to be very steadfast in their ability to do the stuff on the side, and it can get very messy when you're talking about a roster that I mean, when you include like all in, you're talking approximately you know just under 300 people that you have under under contract. Like the majority of them. I don't think you're you're going to get a whole lot of resistance because I don't think they're going to push that. But for your select, that's where this is interesting. It's like this is talent up and down, uh, regardless of spot on the roster that um, may, may want to be doing this. And the bigger name you have, the more revenue potential you're you're going to have. And it becomes this interesting debate, like what what share of that if if you are able to get an endorsement deal outside of WWE that they want to get uh, a piece of. Yeah. Um, you know, it's another, again, it's, it's a topic that really brings about the, the, the very controversial, you know, thing of, of them, the, the wrestlers being uh, independent contractors, any sort of like effort of WWE trying to enforce, you know, some sort of reach over, um, I don't know, talents not being able to make money. I mean, the counter argument is always going to be this, very bullshit thing that I think everybody is aware of, of, of this independent contract thing. And again, you know, on WWE side of things, um, do you bring up this, this thing continuously knowing that on the other end, you know, you might get hit even harder from people like Andrew Yang bringing up the independent contractor status. Um, yeah. So 
it just makes me wonder like how 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 much you know WWE will be really fighting this because the the more people discuss this, I think it's to their disadvantage ultimately. It's like it comes up very frequently. Like there was a, a, a generation where. I mean, the discussion about, like, independent contractor labels, I mean, it existed. I mean, if you were looking at, like, wrestling media and stuff, they would talk about it. But you're getting more and more um, influential people that that are talking about this. And it has to be something that if you're a WWE shareholder, if you're a WWE executive, that you're looking at, you know, this could be – it's almost inevitable that Pandora's box uh, explodes, that this is – a large issue that eventually has to be tackled. And I think WWE has to be prepared for as well. It's also worth noting that, you know, the, the thought of converting everyone into employees, it was thought to be, well, that will just, uh, it'll just be such a financial burden for this company. And, you know, you had uh, people like uh, Brandon Thurston run the numbers. And I mean, to you and me, it's it's a sizable amount. But for a company the size of WWE, when you're talking about converting that many independent contractors into employees, it's not the the staggering amount that would cripple this company either. And I mean, you look up and down and you would have to talk to like a labor lawyer, but it would appear uh, it really doesn't pass the smell test that these are independent contractors in in any sense of what the definition is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and if they're employees and then the company could state that, hey, we are providing you this, this, and this, and your outside endorsement deals, there are no more out, outside endorsement deals. Uh, but it's not going to be WWE volunteering to make that change. It is going to take a, a large amount of your roster that are going to be forcing those changes through. And the question will be, is this generation going to be those performers and we look at the time and place we're in that just this year alone of this company of you know some of what they have gone through with working throughout this pandemic the cuts back in the spring this example there will be more and where is the breaking point for a lot of these performers where maybe they all do gather and sit down and get legal advice and someone that's going to spearhead this for them. I would imagine there would be no shortage of labor lawyers out there that would be willing to look, look into this further. I'm, I'm surprised in 2020 it hasn't. Do you think we hear any more from the WWE regarding this issue? I think this will pacify a lot. Um, you know, if if we go with the idea that, that uh, Cameo is going to be canceled um, – you know that that's something you can you can see happening. They did experiment with like the interactive meet and greets, and you could see how if they're trying to market those, that cameo is a uh, you know that directly affects that. I'm not going to spend this exorbitant price for a WWE interaction when I can go on cameo and send Davey Portman a bunch of birthday messages. So if you're looking at that being gone, I, I'm sure some like that will be, you know, that's lost revenue. I, I don't know if you're going to be making that up in uh, your WWE work. Um, if they go with that live or interactive meet and greets, but I think enough that the serious revenue you would imagine is coming from things like Twitch. And if you are allowing that to continue, I think that will pacify a fair amount that that somewhat quells the story, but it's hard to say. Um, I, I don't know if this story just uh, disappears because there's such a spotlight on it, but I do feel this was 
a concession by WWE with the hopes of it uh, lessening the the fervor over it. Also makes me wonder if they'll go back to changing people's names when they get into their system. Now that it's like almost, you know, explicitly said that, hey, you can continue using your real names, but we own your fake name. And will we see a greater influx of fake names now? Or at least WWE names, I mean. Yeah, and that's always gone in, in flux. Like there, there's been a period where it was always renaming people. And then they went through periods where, hey, a CM Punk got onto TV like that. And it it's gone back and forth. But I'm with you. I could certainly see this being... Uh, a concerted effort that we are going to have that distinction so that, you know, um, more shorty you know, G's. <laughs> yeah. More, more shorty G's, more, uh, more Ivars, more. Um, if I'm not going to get a cameo from shorty G, I mean, I wouldn't really want one from Chad Gable. I think I would only want one from shorty G. So no dice for me. Would, would you like to be doing a Celtic war, Celtic warrior workouts with uh, Stephen Farrelly? Is that his name? Uh, just does not sound right. Name? Uh, I think it's Stephen. Yeah, Stephen Farrelly. I think his Man, name. Man, Stephen Farrelly sounds like like a lawyer. You know, not Seamus. Stephen Farrelly. Wow. Well, uh, we will continue to follow this story, but it's one that uh, I'm sure is top of mind for a lot of talent. The ones that are involved in that world. There's others that, uh, you know, it's like they. They are not involved in all of this. Do you think that this detracts at all from, you know, because if if you're serious about doing this stuff, like whether it's, you know, setting up a home studio to do your your Twitch streams, to have uh, just spending your days off doing uh, content for other outlets and such like that, does this deter people from investing in that knowing that, hey, this might be allowed today, but six months from now, this might get pulled out from underneath me. I'm just going, I'm not even going to bother with the headache of it. Personally, um, to me, it, it, it was a, a real kind of illuminating like thing to tell me that how much these wrestlers might be making on Twitch. I greatly underestimated how much somebody like Paige might be making. And to me, that was almost like a little well-kept secret until this whole thing came about. Why would, you know... If I, if I can correct you, uh, Soraya. I'm sorry, Soraya, yes. Um, so, you know, I, I thought that many of these people were just going out there and doing this for fun as a hobby. And some of them might actually be certainly Andrew Gulak. I have to wonder how much he might be making off of Twitch, but I mean, it, it seems like it's, you know, like for some, some of these roster members, it's not for, they're not doing it for nothing. So, uh, if anything, it, if I was a wrestler and I, I had to go ahead to do it under my own name and I had plenty of free time on my hands, and I loved video games, or even just bullshitting and talking or whatever people like to do on Twitch, I would even consider it even more now. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. And, you know, it's, um, you know, it just becomes a very different thing when you're talking about if, if they were classified as employees. And, I mean, that would be one case. Like, for, for instance, like just using you and I, way. I mean, if we were working at the Fight Network and we launched a Patreon... We're not getting any of that. Oh, we would. I wouldn't do it. No, it, there would be no point. As really. an employee, like, of course not. And I, I, like, I you know, I, I would feel wrong about that. But again, like, if we were independent contractors, um, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a very complicated, complex situation. But their relationship from the get go as independent contractors is one that's very complicated, and I, quite frankly, abused by the company. All right, let's. Um, 
do you want to chat a little bit about uh, any of the follow-up from Saturday night, which was the last time we talked regarding the Matt Hardy story? This was the, the biggest story coming out of All Out. We had, you know, several kind of contradictory messages. Uh, Tony Khan did the the, the post-media uh, Q&A and stated that Matt Hardy had been taken for tests. He did pass their concussion test. And then on Sunday, you had Rebby Hardy that contradicted that, saying he definitely has a concussion. He had he was still in the hospital as of Sunday afternoon. And then the last word on that was uh, later in the afternoon on Sunday, Tony Khan stating that he was out of the hospital, did not have a concussion, and he'll be on Dynamite this Wednesday. Um, hmm. Matt Hardy, um, this, this popped up on Reddit tonight that he had sent a message on Cameo to uh, a fan and had stated he was in the hospital for a long time. They kept doing test after test and wouldn't let him go, but he's home now and uh, didn't elaborate too much more. Said he took, um, I think he called it a, a bad bump uh, on on Saturday. But mm-hmm. I, I think a lot has been, uh, you know, analyzed and dissected about the bump itself, the handling of it afterward. I, I'm less concerned about, you know, the whether he, you know, the the back and forth that we like, hopefully it's in fact, he did not have a concussion, but I think overall we're just looking at how could this have been handled uh, better? Yeah. Um, I like in, in a case like this, I mean, I, I would assume that like Tony Khan would have access to act the actual medical data. Um, I would assume Rebby, the wife would too. So, you know, the, the the kind of contradictory contradictory um you know did he have a concussion or did he have did he not have one i'm kind of with you john like it doesn't really matter to me whether or not he was clinically diagnosed with a concussion the fact that the man in the middle like after getting knocked down like that tried to stand up and repeatedly fell down on his ass grabbing sammy Guevara's pants off almost to try to lift himself back up that i think should have been enough to anybody um and i i look at the example of like a like if this was an mma fight and like, you know, after a guy get you know getting a, a like knocked out, like trying trying to stand up like that, displaying that the fight would have been off. The fight would have been done. Of course, it would have. And and you know, like the fact that this was a controlled pro- professional wrestling environment, and the man like wasn't just sat down or taken to like a medical office just to be looked at, and instead told to or at least like allowed to continue walking through the arena in an acting role and to be on that climb a scaffold to finish an acting role i think that's ridiculous and and to me there's no excuse whether he had a concussion or not no um i definitely recommend people uh if they listen to monday's uh busted open radio i thought bully ray had a really a very good analysis of things uh you know, you, you may think that Bully Ray would have that wrestler mentality of you just got your way through it. He had a very – he was not comfortable with them continuing it. He did not care whether it was a concussion or not, that it was – he was lacking his motor skills. He could not put his feet underneath him, and he, in good conscience, would not want to have seen that continue. And he noted the fact that, you know, it's – like, we don't know what the concussion protocol was mm. that was administered. Bully Ray said, I have gone through different concussion protocol, and it is a 10 to 15-minute ordeal. And with Matt Hardy, in that we have just seen him in that compromised state. You could argue that he's not even in the right frame of mind to be having a test administered that fresh from the blow. And uh, fair enough, if that's 
their protocol, I think that it does beg for some transparency of, okay, what is this concussion protocol that he passed in that quick amount of time when we had seen him unable to support himself and whether he was uh, concussed or not, that was enough of an alarm bell that goes off that I think your audience at home did not want to see the match continue, at least the vast majority of them. And this idea, the only argument to continue it and we're cutting out the entire match and going to the finish to what point it's like this, we've stopped being in the, uh, like the mode of watching a wrestling match. We are taken out of this. We are concerned about the performer and I don't care about the finish. And on top of that, the degree of, of of difficulty that was still ahead of them climbing a a lighting truss and then sending Guevara off of it. I mean, I, I I just think like you give some leeway that you know you're making these snap judgment calls on a live pay per view, but I feel that a forecasting that a wrestler could suffer a concussion is a reasonable risk that could occur, and this will happen again. That I, I think you do need a pretty black and white policy that if someone is compromised to that degree, I don't care what the finish is. I don't care how this affects a storyline or anything. That's all immaterial and secondary to making sure this person is okay. And I don't know if that could have been accurately assessed in that short window. Definitely calls into question what this concussion protocol is, you know, something that could have taken place in such a quick amount of time. Um, I, I definitely hope that like AEW and Tony Khan will uh, be open to revealing a bit more information and that journalists continue to question him uh, about exactly what this might be uh, in, in the weeks ahead on these media calls or just even in private in interviews. It, it's something I think at this point the public really demands to know a bit more of. But, you know, regarding stopping matches and people getting injured, I mean, we saw an example of that tonight, didn't we? And it was what happened. They went pretty much right to the finish afterwards. And it was, you know, that was that was it. The match was over within minutes. And you you could argue at that point, uh, like, Ivar was out of the ring. It's not like he was physically involved anymore in the match. And they just went to the finish, which is yeah. probably all that you can reasonably expect them to do. It, you know, it's you can't always be in a fortunate, fortunate situation like a multi-man match where you can hide the injured body or the injured person uh, from the finish and actually go to a finish that somewhat makes sense. In the case of like Manhart versus Sammy Guevara, I mean, clearly, obviously, Sammy Guevara had to lose. Matt Hardy, um, because of the stipulation, could not um, leave AEW, I suppose. Uh, but again, it's, I, I mean, I, I really do hope that, like, again, this is a conversation about, like, how, just judging by the reaction online, people would not have gotten mad at all if that segment just simply ended. Um, I've seen no, very little to none no defense about what AEW did in allowing Matt Hardy to continue. And by um, not stopping the match, regardless of whether or not the man had a concussion, I would definitely say AEW bought themselves a way bigger PR headache. Uh, Just as we're speaking, WWE just sent out the following tweet. During the eight-man tag on Raw, Ivar suffered a cervical injury on a Viking dive to the floor. As a precaution, Ivar was transported to a local hospital and is expected to make a full recovery. A hospital, even. Wow. Went to, went to the hospital. Not yes. a not a not local a local medical. medical facility. Okay. So that's how you um, know it's legit. Uh, cervical injury. I mean, that's that's 
concerning, but mm-hmm. uh, you know they're optimistic he's going to make a full recovery. So that is uh, good news. But that is the latest on Ivar. On Wednesday, New Japan will be announcing the lineup for the A Block and B Block for the G1 Climax. This is, uh, I won't say right down to the wire, but as close to it as New Japan uh, is getting for the, the the G1. And I guess you know we have talked about you know the state of the foreigners. Um, if these foreigners are taking part in this tournament, then they would have had to have been in the country this past Saturday and quarantining. So, I mean, I guess there is the possibility that <laughs> all these foreigners have gotten there and they're keeping it ultra quiet for this announcement. But I feel it would it, I have a hard time imagining that that would not be no one. I agree with you. Um, I think it's unlikely at this point, And, you know, perhaps New Japan, we're just holding out hope to see what what was up before firmly announcing it but now we're past the two-week mark um i i'm not expecting any of the foreigners and that's a drastically different tournament yeah when you're talking about uh, no osprey no kenta no jay white um uh, much less you know some of the uh, juice robinson for instance like it's it's going to be a very different tournament and i think it's uh, it's going to be a weaker tournament as well. Like there's, there's no doubt about that. When we look at the roster that New Japan has been utilizing during the, this whole period, it'll certainly be different. You know, the number of I think big matchups you can build up to uh, might be might be decreased, might be lessened. You know, and also we're we're coming off of like the New Japan Cup, which doesn't feel like it was that far away. So um, to have kind of two tournament tournaments side by side, uh, all the matches will, will probably be different, but. Um, I, I mean, the matches can still be great. I mean, just even the roster that they currently have right now, um, I, I know I'm still excited because I, I know you're going to see like a really high standard of wrestling regardless. But certainly on paper, you might not have maybe, you know, the the, the big draws uh, or as many big draw matches as you would have. Uh, looking ahead, uh, Tuesday night, we've got Super Tuesday 2. So the lineup right now, Finn Balor, Adam Cole for the NXT title, a steel cage match that is being billed as the Battle of the Badasses, Rhea Ripley against Mercedes Martinez. Uh, Bronson Reed will be taking on Austin Theory, and Roderick Strong will be taking on... I'm blanking on it right now. Uh, they just announced it today. Um, uh, Killian Dane. So those are our four matches that we have announced on top of uh, Impact... Dana White's Contender Series, but NXT, probably the big show on Tuesday night. Where do you think they go with the NXT title? Is this uh, Finn Balor regaining the title? I think it's Finn Balor. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that Adam Cole had the championship. Um, you know, I, I'm predicting Balor. I think so, too. Um, should be a hell of a match on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, Ratings-wise, do you think they do better or worse than last week? I think they'll be. I think they'll do less than the Iron Man last week. Um, Even though, like this time, we're almost like I would say it's a more definitive guarantee that you would get a champion. Um, I th- I just think the Iron Man match. It was probably. I, I think that it was build up like a really significant match. I don't think this one's going to be far off. I don't think it'll be that much down. I just think it'll be slightly below. But I could be wrong as well. It, if it beats last Tuesday, I think that's only going to amplify the. Uh, the Tuesday night discussions with with NXT uh, having a week to think about it. Do you have any kind of solid thought on NXT's future uh, n- night of the week and what your preference would be and what you think uh, makes sense? Because it is a very interesting game that's going on. As somebody who covers it, I mean, absolutely, it would be Tuesday. Like 
you know, it would give me a chance to watch it a bit more closely than trying to like maybe I don't know watch watch it right after uh, Dynamite on a Wednesday or, or even Thursday morning. Um, I think it would be better for everybody. You know, it would be it would have more of the conversation the day after on all these radio shows and podcasts. Um, and I think you know, there's a part of me that would miss like having the oh who won the ratings war. But to be honest with you, we had a full year of it kind of like done with it um and i think a lot of people are too and i think it would almost like get rid of these like stupid allegiances that people have you know you can who like the idea that you can only watch one or the other is is silly and i think putting it on a tuesday is ultimately better for the fan uh but that would you know require wwe to uh, admit defeat essentially does that mean brayden and davy could uh License uh, Drake for their opening theme. What do you mean? If they're going up on a Tuesday. Is that a Drake song? Of course it's a Drake song. You're not familiar with this? Up on a Tuesday? Yeah. I had no clue. Isn't it just called Tuesday? Fuck. I don't know, dude. Drake's probably got songs about every sentence. You're right. um, All right. Yeah, no, you're you're more up on this than I am. Clearly, clearly, um, they just mentioned this recently. Um, so there you go. Uh, final thing, being the elite today. Yes, yes. I mean the the fallout from all the all out fallout. Okay, let's the give them a hand fallout. for that title. Uh, I I know John, like you're firmly on board this thing now, uh, and I think the biggest draw coming off of uh, being the elite is anything to do with. The Dark Order, what did you think of their segment this week? It was fantastic. Um, I think they might they might win best gimmick for me this year. At, oh, my. At, at this rate that they're going, yeah. John Silver is... John Silver and Brody Lee have a chemistry that is my favorite thing in, in wrestling, involving these two. I They had a bit of a pressure this week because... Everyone knew what the bullseye was, all the all the third party stuff. And it was like, man, it's almost like too easy that, you know, Kip Sabian puts up like the that was line. too easy. The Sabian it's- one I thought was too easy, especially on a show where honestly, like, I don't know, some 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 of these little jabs like don't make AEW look too great when, you know, they have a lot to answer for themselves. But anyway, yes. No, no, they Absolutely. But I mean, that that's kind of the game. Like this is where you, 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 you take your shots outward, not uh, self-reflective. Um, but I thought that uh, Brody Lee uh, g- giving it to evil Uno as he's on Twitter right after the, the match and then gets into the tirade with John. So it's just like every interaction where John, like John Silver's got his phone to show Brody Lee. It says, Show me Reynolds, and he's got to take John Silver's phone to show him. And there we have joining them on cameo, Sinbad. Sinbad, yeah. Now, like Sinbad, like did this cameo. <laughs> Sinbad, the sentence is even ridiculous. Sinbad did this cameo, and he played it up like he, like, was a fan. But like, it could have very well been like, I don't know how cameos work. Do you just write a message to somebody and say, Hey, can you talk about this? Can you talk about this? I guess so. Like they pretty much. So I, I don't. I don't know if they directly script it or they just give like some bullet points to people to uh, deliver. This was clearly Sinbad. I'm giving you one take, and I'm not going to do a redo. 
Yeah, it would be hilarious if like Sinbad had never heard of like the Dark Order or being the elite or uh, AEW or anything like that, and just like did this for like a fan, and then it appeared on this like. At least they have pretty YouTube simple show. names to pronounce. Like you don't have to worry about him mispronouncing Brody Lee or John Silver. Oh, that would be even better, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, if he had been, you know, had to, uh, God, who would be a, a complicated name? Uh, Serpitinko, Serpatenko. Uh, there's that one. Anyway, uh, Luchasaurus. <laughs> the other. Oh thing- my God, that Luchasaurus, the Helen Hart joke. I yes. fucking died. That was so funny. And <laughs> you dated Helen Hart. It was before Stu. Uh, dude, <laughs> I thought that was so goddamn funny. The original Canadian destroyer, Helen Hart, who, I mean, was American, but we digress. <laughs> she, she, I, I think Canada will always claim her. Adopted. As... Definitely adopted is Helen Hart. Dude, I thought that was so funny. Those, those were my, my two favorite things. It's, it's, it was a great little reference. Um, if there was a Canadian destroyer Helen Hart shirt, I would definitely buy it in a heart, heartbeat. Yeah. Oh, wonderful uh now what about the other thing was uh, uh with the elite uh the elite hey, yes so yes we had we, we got a lot of uh people upset at us way for not uh you know, racing listen, uh, listen I, i'm at a point where it's like i i don't hate this storyline and in fact like i believe that we are going to get the payoff i just think the where we are now it is very all over the place and scattered. And this only added to it. I mean, we had the young bucks when you take like the, the match against Luchasaurus and jungle boy to the post match after the tag title match and their demeanor with Kenny to this. Um, like, I think you can, it's, it's relying a lot on the fans kind of piecing things together. And my, my biggest critique is just the bucks who were the most opposed to Hangman Page, then trying to talk Kenny out of leaving Hangman Page. There needed to be something in there that tied it together. And I guess this episode was somewhat reminiscent of what I'm referring to, where Hangman goes to Brandon Cutler to try and convey a message that the Bucks listen to off-camera and are not convinced uh, of wanting to patch things up with Hangman Page. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, again, uh, something... Like BTE is sort of like the place where a lot of this connective tissue uh, resides. And admittedly, I guess I haven't been watching as closely as like maybe I should have because uh, evidently, I mean, a lot of it is there. Um, I, I do, again, have to wonder how much of the AW audience is also checking in on it as well. But um you know, listen, it's 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 hitting differently, I would say for yeah, we had definitely people that were uh definitely defending the elite and upset at us for not getting it. Um, but we also had people that agreed with us too. So it to me goes back to like, you know, debates that you always have with like things like the Firefly Funhouse, you know, something that really connects with a section of the audience, but for other people they are completely lost. And I don't know, what's that fine balance, you know? Um, as far as like AEW goes, like it, it, it always, they've always kind of like, you know, done what made, made themselves amused and that seemed to work for them so far. So if you get it, great. Um, I look forward to seeing how it plays out. Anything else from being the elite? I think that was pretty much all the, the main stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
Coming up this week, uh, busy week. It's always a busy week. One of these days on a Monday, uh, I'm just going to say, you know what? We're doing nothing this week. There's there's nothing coming up. Uh, but that is not this week. Tuesday, Andrew Thompson is going to have an interview with Vampiro and the director of the new documentary that's coming out tomorrow, uh, Nail in the Coffin, The Fall and Rise of Vampiro. So you can look out for that with uh, Andrew Thompson. Also on Tuesday, we have going up on a Tuesday is a special edition of Up Next, brand new night of the week with Braden Harrington and Davey Portman going head-to-head with Rocky II. Way and I will be reviewing the sequel to the highly acclaimed Rocky One, and we're going to discuss the rematch between Rocky Balboa and Apollo Creed. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. It's uh, I love talking about the first one. The second one, you know, I kind of have like fewer like strong, strong, sharp memories of. So um, I haven't watched it yet, John. Uh, I'll be watching it just shortly before we actually talk about it and review it tomorrow. So I have that ahead of me and I look forward to discussing it with you. It's a very easy movie to get through in one sitting. So uh, I don't think it's too bad. You know, AMC for Labor Day, they were doing a whole Rocky Marathon today. You and tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I've recorded them all way. Well, wonderful. Great. I'm all set. So, you, so wait, is it widescreen? I mean, I guess it is widescreen. But, like, do they edit anything? I don't know. I haven't watched any of them. I, I Rocky 2, I rented on YouTube. Right. Okay. How much it is to rent this movie on YouTube? Like three bucks. It was, well, this one was, like, eight. Eight dollars? Yeah. This Dude. one was seven ninety nine. Damn. For Rocky 2. Like, was man. it HD? Uh, yeah. I mean, treat yourself a little. Yeah. Go right to Sylvester Stallone's pocket. Well, you know what? I, or I guess starving. not. Probably not. Everybody's starving right now. Pandemic. Is YouTube starving right now? Uh, Who, who's this going to? Who are these? Who is it directly going to? Uh, whoever produced the film. Carl Weathers. Does he get a cut of my eight dollars? Something tells me he does not. Um, well, that's unfortunate. But, but Google certainly does. Well, I'm glad Google support a local business. I'm glad Google's doing okay <laughs> during the pandemic. What are your thoughts about this rumor that uh, condo development might take out Sneaky D's? That was a hot button topic as well. I mean, I saw as much outrage about that one as like the the third party thing that WWE's been going through. I mean, my rule is whenever there's a business that's going out of business in Toronto and everyone's in an uproar about it, my my question is, if I don't go somewhere, I don't have a right to be outraged over it. But this is one that, I mean, that that is a regular stop at Sneaky D's. So I will be very sad if that place closes down. It is like when, when, Inevitably, the question me and Wei get the most are from people out of town that are coming here and say, what, what is there to do in Toronto? And invariably, in the top three, it's go to Sneaky D's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's like it's, it's a place with a lot of history. I've seen a lot of concerts there. I've uh, been to, like, you know, a lot of – I've had eaten a lot of nachos there. I think every, almost everybody has in the city. Um, it would be very sad and tragic if it were to be gone. Um, it just further raises questions of, like – you know, and of course, like people are probably going to be t- be taking it out to put in condos, and and at some point, it's like, where does the government need to step in? You know, to to limit and protect corners from just being glass houses. Um, but whatever, it's it's a different podcast, I think, John. It would be sad. It would definitely be sad. It would take a lot of character out of that corner. Well, here's hoping that Sneaky D's uh, makes it through this. Um. 
That is all happening on Tuesday. <laughs> and then on Wednesday, we've got Rewind to Dynamite. Friday, it's a live Rewind to SmackDown, 10, 15 p.m. Eastern Time. Saturday, WH and I will be back. It's our monthly meetup. And this Saturday, we will be doing a full preview of the G1 Climax. We're also going to take a look at uh, its tournament season in Japan with the Champion Carnival, the N1 Victory Tournament, and Stardom's got their five-star Grand Prix going on. So we'll be talking about all these tournaments and getting you set for the G1. And we're going to spoil uh, who's going to win it because WH is going to give us his pick of who's going to run the table and go right to the end. Uh, of the G1. I also wanted to mention, yes, we will be bringing back Chris Angler's G1 pool, uh, whatever, what do we call it? Just G1 contest, I guess. So as soon as these brackets are announced, as soon as the participants are announced, we'll get that up and running. And uh, make sure you listen to Post Pro Res this weekend if you want to get the up and up on uh, the insider predictions. Get WH's... Uh... His whole brackets, he'll, he'll reveal. And then uh, Sunday night, post-interview, I'm going to be chatting with Keith Elliott Greenberg. He's the author of the new book, Too Sweet, Inside the Indie Wrestling Revolution, uh, that is out now. Uh, a very good book. Um, not to be confused with Too Sweet, The Not-So-Serious Side to Diabetes, which is also a book that's available. Uh, but we will be talking about the independent wrestling scene. Uh, Keith, of course, uh, is was there at WWF Magazine for decades. He wrote the book on Classy Freddy Blassie, superstar Billy Graham, a, a best-selling author, a New York Times best-selling author, joining us on Sunday night uh, to chat about the entire independent wrestling industry. So I look forward to chatting with Keith about that. A man that can say he attended All In and WrestleMania 1. I wonder how many could I, I was thinking about that during this interview. I, I should have asked him. Like, I'm sure there are some, but I would imagine that's a small number that went to both those shows. Uh, were were there any wrestlers who like were on both cards? Like just even a, in appearance? Oh, God. I You know what? We're, we're going to look at this all-in card right now. I My strong assumption is no. Not wrestling, but maybe an appearance. Yeah, like just appearing. Because they were like, I mean, Brett was there. Um, who else? Was Brett, Brett would have missed WrestleMania one though. Yeah. Right. That's close. Um, man, I bet you there were some people that weren't even born. Like uh, was Earl Hebner? Earl Hebner wasn't in WWF by that point. He didn't come until 88. Lanny Poffo. Lanny Poffo was, was before he, he came in. Oh God. He came in after Randy. Um, that one's, that one's not too far off. Hmm. Uh, Joey Janela. Um, Stephen Amell. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if Bully Ray went to WrestleMania one as a fan. Mm, okay, he would have been thirteen, fourteen years old. Maybe, maybe Bully Ray. That'd yeah. be an interesting question. Most of okay. this, most of this card wasn't even born by then. To Tommy Dreamer and Bully Ray. There's a chance they may have gone to WrestleMania one as fans. Gotcha. All right, that would be my only guess. But that's an interesting trivia question of how many people went to WrestleMania 1 and All In. Okay, let us get into Raw from Monday night. Randy Orton comes out to start the show. And he says the more times he faces Keith Lee, the more likely Keith is going to get kicked in the head because we're doing this match again tonight. He can't list all the people he's kicked in the head because Raw is only three hours. The only time those five words were said in succession. 
He says that every title must be defended at Clash of Champions, and if Drew McIntyre can't make it to the pay-per-view, he wants Drew to hand over the title. And with that, an ambulance makes its way into the arena. I have come to the conclusion that my entire life, when I hear an ambulance in a wrestling setting, I will still believe Scott Steiner is showing up. Me too. That's just ingrained in me. This is 20 years later, and we're still reacting to Scott Steiner showing up to approach. I mean, it was just, it was a very memorable theme to come out to. I mean, it was such a basic sounding noise, but it's so but his run ingrained. Wasn't even was, that long. He know? only started using that, what, like 99, 2000? Like he only used, and then he did use it when he came to WWE, like the siren. Well, even that run, I'm saying, wasn't that long. No, it was, it was so, you know, relatively short. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I felt the same way. But, you know, like the content of this Orton interview, I, I think was, again, pretty amusing because to me, they're always I could just picture like Randy Orton seeing his name on the card against Keith Lee again. And then this promo coming about because these promos, I would say, almost feel like the, he's in a way complaining about the booking of the show. I'm facing Keith Lee again. You know, I've like despite like me already having that title shot, um, despite, you know, him already beating me, despite such and such. Uh, so anyway, I, I also thought that Raw only runs three hours line was kind of said, you know, with a bit of truth as well. Um, so then Drew McIntyre pops out of the ambulance. He's completely fine and hits Orton with a Claymore. And this would start the three hour selling of Orton's jaw. Yeah, we're led to believe that Drew still is still nursing that broken jaw or jawline fracture. He was talking fine tonight. Well, you can have a fracture, but still, you know, talk. I would assume. It's well, a was it was it a hairline jawline fracture? It was a hairline jawline uh, fracture. <laughs> yeah, broken right. jaw, broken jaw, and the man like looks fine. So I'm 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 taking it to mean that um, the jaw is fragile, but he's so manly. He is so tough that he's going to pretend nothing's wrong. The Hurt Business arrive, and they beat just beat the shit out of a janitor after MVP bullied him, saying, what did you say about Shelton's mother? Said, hey, I wasn't watching in 2006. Um, and they just threatened him and beat the hell out of this poor janitor. Yeah, just showcasing these guys as just big bullies. Mm-hmm. They should have just had the text on the screen, bad guys flashing after this scene. Drew is in the back with our best supporting authority figure, Adam Pierce. Says Drew has not been medically cleared to be here tonight. <laughs> this guy is just like standing tall. He says he'll be at Clash. Fractured jaw or not, Pierce says you need to leave. And Drew agrees. And Adam tells the security, we don't want any more surprises tonight. Yeah, thus begins the show-long story of um, Drew McIntyre um, taking his sweet-ass time to leave. Yeah, Drew the loiterer. Ooh. Apollo Crews, Cedric Alexander, and Ricochet versus the Hurt Business, six-man tag. Cedric Alexander walks out, and the Hurt Business jump him and just beat the hell out of him on the stage. And this, I guess, was Cedric Alexander's moment to say, eh, you know what? I think I'm going to join these guys. This was fun. So, yeah, this is interesting, okay? Like, they beat the shit out of this guy, and within five minutes, they are a unit. Well... I think what you mean, what like what you what you suggested is true. Like he got beat. Well, okay. What's interesting is that 
did he make up his mind that he was going to join the Hurt Business before? Like, I would assume, like, a, a big career-defining decision like this, he would have thought about doing it prior to the match. He probably thought about it all weekend. You know, I'm going to turn on my friends once I come out to this match. And then unbeknownst to him, the guy got jumped and attacked. So not only did he have to, like, endure this attack, like, he was going to join you anyway. I was going to join you guys anyway. Why did you beat me up? If I was in this situation, okay, and you had been beating me up for two months, okay, and I get to the arena, I look at the match listings, god damn it, I'm in a tag match against Way and his cronies again. Way has just been killing me. You know what? I'm going to join this guy. You know what I would be doing? I'd be texting you. I'd be like, you know what? (laughs) I don't want another one of these beatings tonight, okay? You've won. I'm going to join you. Let's just get through it. These people I'm teaming with, I'm going to totally fuck them over, okay? But just don't beat me up because I'm joining you tonight. That would be my my first thing I would do. You would be the first one that I would relent to. Please, have mercy on me. So if I did end up beating you up again, I mean, wouldn't that make you reconsider joining me? Or would you just be like, you know what? Um, I committed to this. Over the this weekend, can't get, this can't get worse. I talked to Big Swole about it over the weekend. She agreed you should join these guys. Um, so you would just take the beating, I guess. Could be, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's like these beatings. I've had to be injecting myself with Novocaine. It's just the pain is too much. Wow. So they they attack Alexander, and then they take turns just beating the hell out of him in the ring he's got to fight back with an insiguri it's like they got all the heat on alexander before he tags out and then alexander yanks ricochet off the apron uh this is when cruz is in the ring and they just he pummels ricochet cruz just looks stunned as he's in the ring he comes in hits a lumbar check and then smiles at the hurt business and Shelton hits Cruz with the pay dirt, pinning him at 430. Alexander just smiles and nods. It was like, okay, we're going to do like five minutes of cuts back and forth. So just without saying any words, convey that you're with them. Yeah. And that this was the Cedric Alexander turn and not a swerve either, even though they had Shelton play the skeptic later in the show, but there was no, like this was the turn. I think the swerve was him getting beaten up. Like, before the match and during the match, and then him actually turning. So, uh, that was one swerve. Who knows? Maybe, like, Cedric's just the guy who, like, I'll take these beatings, you know, as long as I surprise people. Like, maybe he's one of those. He's really committed to the illusion and the reveal. Um, it was nice to see some progression and change in this story after all these weeks. I mean, um, Raw, like, I would say, especially, like, this feud and whatever's going on with, like, Angel Garza and Andrade in the Street Profits really has like been recycling a lot lately. Like in this case, a match like this happening twice on the same show. So uh, it was nice to at least see some story- character progression and again, furthering a-, a big role for Cedric, even though I think by the end of it, he looked um, like kind of sad. He looked like the bully that, or, sorry, the, the, the kid who got bullied just like kind of gave up and i don't know if that's like the strongest um reasoning for a turn i just felt like so much of this was built up about ricochets the one and only they even brought that up and that i'm not going to sacrifice my body for to protect apollo that this could have just been like ricochet hogging the match 
not tagging out. And when he finally does, it's Apollo who maybe like accidentally knocks into Cedric. And that's like just a very, and then he snaps. He finally has his snapping moment and you, you understand it. You don't need to hear the words. This one, it just seemed to be like kind of a, uh, a psychology you really couldn't follow where Cedric just kind of like shrugs it. He's not with them at the beginning of this match, but after being beaten up throughout this, that is what convinces him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? Friendships are a really complicated thing and emotions change very quickly. The Street Profits took on, this is Way's feud of the year, Angel Garza and Andrade. I really hope this was for the last time because oh I mean, God, fuck, dude. it's been. I'm like, so tired of this. These four. It's been like five months. I feel like like this is like the pandemic, like represented in a feud. It's just Groundhog like, Day. That's what this is. Yeah. Andrade and Garza are not on the same page after last week when. Uh, so, <laughs> Angel Garza abandoned Andrade and Vega, and then he abandoned Demi Burnett. And based on tonight, it makes you think that Retribution uh, kidnapped her and just she's gone. Where was Demi Burnett? Oh. She was left for dead. And maybe she's one of the uh, the ninjas in Retribution that are uh, part of the locusts. There was no follow up on that. Yeah, you're right. Um, who knows? I mean, do we know that Retribution, like if they capture you, that you they recruit you or do they just like? Maybe Debbie Burnett is a graphic designer and came up with a a whole logo for them and came up with a branding plan for them. Yeah, sure. Um, that's possible. I don't know. I don't know what this means for the future of Debbie Burnett. Uh, so this match, it went two minutes. Andrade uh, was in there. He was distracted with Garza, who just walked out on them. Dawkins hit the Dominator from the heavens, and then with the weirdest ending to this, the referee counts two, and then Andrade is like turning himself around so the referee can't see his shoulders, has to pause at two, readjust, and then count three. So we had to have the most complex two-minute ending to this match. It's because like I think Ford was like spitting him around for some reason. Like Ford had the cover, and then I think he just like... I mean, he's incredibly entertaining, and he'll do a lot of things that are, like, really unpredictable. And I guess, evidently, one of the things he felt like doing was, like, like upon covering a guy, doing, like, a Homer Simpson, like, on the floor running type of thing in, in a circle. <laughs> and that made the the shoulders, like, rotate around the ring. And this poor referee had to, like, interrupt his two count in order to go to the other side to see the three. I mean, I, I really, like... I have no issue with like the referee treating this like real. Like, hey, I can't see your shoulders. I'm going. A lot of referees yeah. might have just counted three just to not disrupt the flow, but I I didn't blame the referee at all. It was just like very weird that they adjusted this. It was anyway. awkward. Yeah, yeah. Cesaro comes out, and he's followed by Shinsuke Nakamura, and I hear the words, "Is this all part of the brand to brand Invitational?" and First of all, I remembered the brand-to-brand Invitational, uh, which I think I reported back in May. And then, 36 minutes into the show, I realized that the voice of SmackDown is calling Raw. Oh. 
I had no earthly idea. I had been listening to Michael Cole for 36 minutes and I had it, it absolutely did not dawn on me that Michael Cole was filling in for Tom Phillips. Yeah, they're two very interchangeable, I would say, you know, guys like in the very same mold, you know, it's not like uh Vic Joseph taken over for more Ronaldo. Um and I think that's the way they probably want it. You know, they want guys to be pretty much like I almost want to say generic, interchangeable host. Cesaro points out that the Street Profits have been the longest reigning champions in years. They poked fun at their segments with the Viking Raiders. They are the real champions, and thus, they are enacting the quarterly brand-to-brand invitational and challenge them to a match next week. And Nakamura says, we want the and Dawkins cuts him off claiming copyright infringement, which was funny this week. Was this thing always like quarterly? I they said it w- I remember like the idea when they introduced it was that they were going to keep it very uh like they weren't they didn't want this to become what the uh wild what card. was the wild card was where it's just nonstop all the time and multiple people per week. They wanted to keep it to several times a year. I don't think they ever specifically said quarterly, but the idea was to do this very sparingly throughout the year, which I mean, the fact they brought it back means it still exists, which I didn't even know if it still did, but here it is quarterly. Okay. So four times a year and we're talking like one team can jump. Well, we haven't gotten to that. Like they did a a couple of them when they introduced it. It wasn't just one. It was yeah. like they did Drew and King Corbin, I remember, and I feel they did a few others and then just stopped. Yeah, yeah, it's it's whatever. Like, if it's convenient, then yeah, let it be quarterly um, until it's not. And then Ford calls them the Bar 2.0 and that Cesaro has had so many partners, he may want an STD test. And they agree to the match next week. It was nice to see Cesaro get a chance to speak a bit more. Um, certainly, like, you know, not... I don't think anybody would classify him as a great promo, but he's not terrible. He's, I think, good enough. And what's important is that, to me, it's a fresh matchup for both teams who both sorely need it. And I think it has the potential to be really strong in ring. Our truth was in catering with the 24-7 title. There's... Uh... They roll up the food to him on a cart, and there's a ninja underneath it on the platter. Tozawa then enters with a referee, little Jimmy reference. There's water. The ninja <laughs> runs off. I, I don't know what the fuck was happening here. Uh, somebody must have been happy with these. Like they keep happening. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. Then we had the blow off match to Peyton, Peyton Royce, and Billy Kay. Both came out to new theme songs. Billy Kay was referenced as the femme fatale in her new outfit that they pointed out. Yeah. It was a chance to see like um both new entrances for, for the women. And you know how WWE loves like you know, for everybody to like rehearse their entrances, make sure that you've got your thing down. And um I guess they did, because like Peyton comes out, she does a little spin kick to like a superhero pose, but facing backwards, which I thought was neat. Billy Kay's was more of a, I don't know, um, confident strut. So uh, they've got that. 
I think both, to me, honestly, appeared a little hesitant and a little awkward. And oh, you, got, you think so? <laughs> and you got the sense that they were both really, like, almost like, you know, trying on new identities in front of, like, a national audience for the first time. So, um, can't Wait, be an easy... This felt like it was two people that went through an afternoon of learning how to wrestle, and then they were going to allow them to do a match together. Like this, the beginning of this match felt like two people that were locking up for the first time. This was like beginners pro wrestling. I I personally feel like they've always kind of been at a similar level. I mean, I know like we've talked about how much Peyton has improved. And that's certainly still the case, but like the two of them, I think are naturally still a little bit, a little bit awkward, like in ring. And I, I didn't think this was like any better or worse than, than usual. It was like the beginning of this, like I, I thought this was really, really bad. Um, Peyton Royce eventually hit a spin kick and then she drives her knee down into the back of Billy Kay. And it was like the audio engineer was reaching over and hit the wrong button because as the knee drove into her back, you hear the crowd go, oh, it's like this. That was completely ill-timed. Like it felt like we had just seen uh, Dominic do a sunset bomb on the floor through a table. That was the button we hit for this knee going into Billy Kay's back and the engineer just, oh, shit. I'm We're live. surprised we haven't had more screw ups. Like maybe like, you know, somebody jumps off the top and it's like one, two, <laughs> like for no reason. Um, but I, I feel like they've, whoever's in charge of it, I think has been doing a better job. Like it's, it sounded more natural, but it's such a ridiculous role to have. They built up to Kay hitting an overhead suplex and then Royce hit a jumping high kick and the deja vu to win this in 241. Um, I just thought this was a pretty bad match. And I, last week, I think we kept it pretty open that, okay, there's got to be some explanation for this split. I don't have any answer. Like, they oh <laughs> they just split them up out of nowhere. They did the match here. There was no controversy coming out of this. They hugged afterwards. This thing was done. It felt like, hey, we're breaking up the Iconics yesterday. Mm-hmm. Get it done. That's what this felt like. And they well, had a poor match to end this. I think last week you and I like wondered if like, oh, does like does does one of these these two women have, like have like an emergency that they have to leave for or something, you know? Um and I mean I I can't really tell if, if that's still the case or not, but it, to me it just seemed more like they decided to break these two up ahead of the draft and rather than, you know, maybe giving them some warning um months ago so that people can craft a better story to lead up to it. It was just decided one afternoon. And um, it also was apparent to me that like what you saw last week on raw underground with like Peyton inexplicably shoving Billy Kay into like, that was the turn that was after five years. It wasn't a turn though. It was more, it was because they're both still baby faces. It was just their way of building up to this match. Well, that was the best that they could have had, could have come up with. So it's really unfortunate because, like, of all the tag team breakups, for some reason, this one feels, like, among the more difficult. And I think that's probably because you had such a sense of these two being legitimate best friends who spent all their time together outside. They went to high school together. Like, yeah. these two have known each other half their lives. Their their chemistry um, as personalities is just so perfect 
with one another. Um, you don't get the sense that these two are just two singles competitors who were put together to work together. They are and have always exist- existed as a unit. So all that said, I mean, I think singles runs are inevitable. It's just a real shame that they didn't come up with a better story to suit, I think, how, I don't know, um, monumental of a breakup this was. Yeah, I mean, this, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know really where you go with a Billy Kay after this. I mean, this just felt like it was more so the focus will be on Peyton Royce. But I mean, they went to the extent of like re-imaging Billy Kay, like, th- like you saw with his entrance, like this was not someone that they just are uh, doing nothing with. They Certainly went to the not. extent of coming up with like a new look. But I mean, after this, it just felt like she was just well, left cold. Inevitably, somebody had to win, right? And I, I think I can, we could definitely maybe assume that they, they at least to start see Peyton as the bigger star of the two. But that doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, Billy will just get like all of a sudden, you know, brought down to main event or something like that. I mean, we've seen breakups like this in the past, you know, where, I mean, ahead of a brand split or during a brand split, they put one person on one brand and one person on another. It's clear to me that Peyton is probably going to get a pretty big push. Billy, I think, will as well. But I can see her definitely like maybe being in more of the mid card mix on like a SmackDown or whatever other brand she's on. Uh, but that also doesn't mean like she won't have an opportunity to break out like we've seen, you know, like a like when Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy broke up, you know, I think everybody probably thought, oh, Jeff Hardy's going to be the one to get pushed. But like Matt did more than fine, like being like, you know, version one. Right. So there's always going to be a chance, I think. Yeah, I we, we will see. I just I, I thought this match, th- th- this was like very low quality is uh, how I will put it. The Mysterio family is in the back. It's uh, Ray, Angie, Aaliyah, and Dominic with Murphy lurking in the back, just looking ominous. And the Mysterios come out for an interview with Charlie. Ray doesn't have an exact timetable for his triceps injury, but he can't wait to get his hands on Seth Rollins. Murphy shows up on the screen, blames Dominic for Seth berating him, and Rollins wants nothing to do with him now. Ray says it isn't their fault that he pledged his allegiance to that son of a bitch. Murphy is going to end Dominic's career before it ends, so he wants to up the stakes tonight. I thought he was going to challenge him to a career match. But he wants a street fight, and Dominic accepts, and then tells Murphy, if you lay a hand on my family, I'm going to murder you. He said it would be your last breath. In or out. Oh, wow. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. No breath in, no breath out. That's that's suffocation. That's death. You know, it's um like hearing a death threat from like a a man who looks as innocent and talks as innocently as Dominic. Um it's different. It's different. A lot more to come with the Mysterios. Shayna and Nia Jax were speaking on behalf of everybody, asking Adam Pierce, why are we having two handicap matches tonight? Drew McIntyre strolls past them. Pierce says, what the hell? Said, I forgot my phone, but I'm leaving now. You can relax. Next week, it's Asuka and Mickey James for the Raw Women's title. It's so always a good a- excuse, eh? I forgot my I forgot phone. forgot my phone, yeah. Oh, you have I mean- my sympathies. Please go right ahead, sir. Because we've all been there, I guess. And, and we're at the stage now where, oh, man, a man is without his phone. That poor guy. Let him through. Our lifeblood. It's like having a, an insulin pen. I mean, it's yeah, like, hey, exactly. whatever you need to do. 
Asuka and Mickey James versus Natalia and Lana. Uh, we had Asuka and Mickey arguing over who was going to start. Uh, Natalia, um, first of all, Mickey went for the seated drop kick to Natalia that I swear was just, it was like 85 feet, the distance between them. And the they just cut to the hard camera to just get away from this, this angle because it was like a gigantic miss. Then Natalia came back and just hit a good looking one. Uh, Natalia and Oscar start arguing to which Byron says one is speaking Canadian and one is speaking Japanese. You can't detect these foreign languages, this argument that's going on. WH to interpret. Asuka makes the save. She's dumped to the floor. Then Mickey hits a neckbreaker on Lana. Asuka is not in her corner as Mickey fights to the corner. Then Asuka gets back, blind tags in after Mickey's done all the work, and Asuka submits Lana with the Asuka lock in 450. And this is as Mickey is yanking Natalia down to the floor. And Two then, partners that could not get along <laughs> with one another. I uh, I couldn't believe it. I was waiting for uh, Mickey to collapse and Oscar sidesteps and doesn't catch her. This was like what one of four on the show. Oh, I lost count. I mean, if we you have put the, the iconics in. Do they count? I I would say so. I mean, they're still very much in the middle of like a tag team breakup feud. You have um, Cedric, Alien Sasha. You have Cedric with Ricochet. Yeah. Um, uh, Angel and Andrade. Murphy and Seth, Nia and Shayna. Yeah. Jesus it's Christ! The, it's the whole Dude, show. Does anyone? Are there any people to get along? I mean, I do wonder if like it's because the draft is coming up. They're breaking up a lot of teams, but shit, it's oh, you can't break up all those people. In some of these cases, it's, it's not even that. Like Mickey and Oscar, they weren't even a team. You know, it's I just, mean, that one, it's less of a team. It's like okay, they're building up next week's but, match. This was their idea for but, it. But like, how, of all the devices you have at your fingers to tell a wrestling story to build up a match between Oscar and Mickey, this is the one you do. What if they each won handicap matches tonight? Yeah, that would be unique. Natalia and Lana seem to be getting along fine. They are, well, for now. I mean. But no promo about TikTok tonight. Hmm. Or Bang Energy? I don't know if that one's going to make its way into any promos. Uh, The Hurt Business was with Cedric Alexander. He's ready to make it official on the VIP lounge. And Benjamin holds back Cedric and talks to him privately and says, this better not be a game that you're playing. Uh, I actually like the fact that Shelton Benjamin was like us that were like, this is so out of left field. It almost makes no sense. And like MVP and Lashley were just like, totally, of course he's joining us. And Shelton was like, this, this is really out of nowhere. You better not be trying to screw us. It's always nice when you have like that extra layer of, um, I guess like cynicism, you know, on your show to reflect what the audience might be thinking at home. Um, in this case, it would just like, I guess it just helped them, what, further this story a little? I think it was to give you the the tease for the eight man. It's like, is Cedric just playing these guys or is he really with them? And that was it. I mean, if Cedric was playing, playing like all these people, by the end, he's really not going to have too many friends. No, no, he'd be just on his own. Everybody's getting hurt as a result of his actions, including himself. SmackDown promo just was based around Bailey's attack on Sasha, the follow-up to that, and Roman Reigns and Jey Uso being set up for Clash of Champions. The Hurt Business are in the ring. They presented Cedric with a shirt for the Hurt Business. They have a new theme song. They do, yeah. This was another MVP one. Oh, he, pretty he, good... he did it. I, I He did the last one. I assumed I didn't really pay too close attention. Cool. Uh, 
Cedric says he was going broke, teaming with the one and only. And why was I sacrificing my body for someone else like Apollo? I'd rather earn and learn. Yeah. So he wasn't drawing money with Ricochet. He was actually losing money teaming with this guy. I mean, this guy's getting singles matches on main event. How do you earn money? Like by, oh, by winning, I guess, right? Yeah, I guess they weren't doing either of that anymore. I mean, I mean he didn't get any of that that sweet uh, 365 money for the cameras to follow him all year. Well, he caught, I mean, earlier in the evening, Cedric cost himself money then because he threw that match out for his team. Um, but I guess in this match, he he earned money. I mean, you win some, you lose some. He got two matches out of this. Well, he should do a turn every week then. The Viking Raiders came out. I had to refresh my memory to know what involvement they had with this story, but I guess they have been aligned with uh, Cruz and Ricochet. So everyone fought, and it led to an eight-man tag. They got control of Apollo in the corner. He escapes and tags Eric. Uh, or Eric, yeah, is in. He lands the double knees. Lashley then speared him. Ricochet gets in. He's with MVP. He hit a pair of quebradas, then got into Cedric's face. MVP attacks him from behind, and then finally they tag in Alexander. He hits the neuralizer. Ricochet kicks out of that. They traded strikes, which they had like a lot of fire behind their striking exchange. Ricochet hit the super kick and a dragon suplex that MVP broke up. Everyone's in. This is when Ivar does the dive, and this is when this really falls apart. Ricochet is left alone with Alexander. Rolls through on the 630 and then gets hit with a Michinoku driver, which I guess was, uh, you know, they were going to the finish here. And Ricochet kicks out, but they acknowledge it as a three count. I think you give some leeway here, given that this thing seemed to just fall apart, given the injury. Uh, And then they even replayed the finish. And I mean, WWE does this when something is blowing. It's not like they just ignore it. They actually call attention to it. Well, considering like how many things were like being called on the spot at at this point and how many things were being changed. I felt like it came together relatively well, you know, having Cedric beat the one to pin ricochet, the person he turned on. Um, Mm -hmm. and also like out of the chaos, finding a way to protect ricochet out of it all. So I don't know the reason to come back with it. Yeah. I don't know what the original plan was, but I thought they handled it like, like pretty well. Yeah. Drew is still on his phone. And Charlie asks, what are you doing here? He went and got the wrong phone. But now he's got the right phone. And he's now got to find the exit, which he can't find. I mean, this this is not essential personnel on this close set, is it? Um, This guy? This champion? guy that's just wandering around. He's got yeah. a broken jaw. He could be drooling droplets everywhere. Mm. I mean, come on. True. Shane McMahon is with Jordan and Kevin Owens walks up and (laughs) I like that we are not forgetting this feud. Owens says, uh, or Shane says, I know we've had our differences in the past. You know, me leaping off a hell in a cell to try and kill you. But let's just say (laughs) it's all water under the bridge. And Kevin Owens just says, that easy, huh? (laughs) No, you're still a jackass. And I like the fact that we are not just forgetting this blood feud that these two men had three years ago. That was three years ago? It was three years ago what, that they had their Hell in a Cell match. Was Shane a heel or babyface? Owens was the heel. Remember when he uh, he headbutted Vince? Oh, right. Okay. And didn't they, did, they, did they not do a feud with Owens as a babyface? 
Yes, they did that too. They went back to I'm thinking of two feuds ago that they had. You're right. They had the feud last year, which was the loser leaves SmackDown, right? I guess so. Yeah. That I was like so. one of the first weeks on Fox. You're right. They went back to that. I totally forgot a year ago. So there you go. Uh, Randy Orton versus Keith Lee. Orton just sells his jaw the whole match. He pokes Keith Lee in the eyes. They explain the referee didn't see it. I don't know how. He was staring right at them. Lee then blocks the RKO by flexing his neck. Hey, I like this counter. It was simple. Um, and I, I mean, very comic book like. I totally buy it. You know, and Keith Lee is a comic book like wrestler. He's the he's the character that should be able to do this. Brock can probably do it, but you know, Keith Lee, yeah. Like he looks like somebody who would be so stable that you couldn't even RKO him. It was like a cool little counter to like such a devastating move that like why was this just in a six minute nothing match? Well, on he Raw? just learned it over the weekend. Oh, he was doing his uh his neck his neck bridges. Yeah. Lee is drawn to the floor. He crashes into the barricade, and Orton goes to a choke, uh, then backs him into the corner. Another RKO gets blocked, and then Orton finally hits the RKO. He's got the match won when Drew runs in with the Claymore for the DQ at 620, which, if we're looking at the winner's purse, uh, yet again, Drew has cost Keith Lee. And then he tells Randy, I want you to see me in your nightmares, you son of a bitch. Son of a bitch was in high usage tonight between Ray and Drew. And uh, Keith Lee was kind of just forgotten about after. I personally feel like Keith Lee really should have been done with Orton after payback. Like, I really hate to see him continue to, like, be put into this mix if he's not going to be given any significant wins. Um, I understand why they do it. Like, they needed a big match to promote on the show. And inevitably, that gives them a, a, a reason to give you a bullshit out. Because we have to promote these big matches, but we can't give you an actual conclusion to them. Um, so whatever. Like I think Keith Lee really should be beyond this, and he should just he should just be killing guys. You know, like have him work his way up through the entire main event roster, like when like the TV show main event. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know they've got to come up with something for him because he's not really part of this, this Drew Randy Orton program unless he's Drew's sidekick. And, you know, this is the second time that Drew has kind of cost him his match with Randy Orton. Although in this one, it was like Randy had this match won. He had, he had him beat. I think that was their way of, like, almost mm, undoing Orton losing at payback. You know, by having oh. Orton almost winning. Here before Drew oh, they've stepped. done it two weeks in a row because last week he laid him out with the RKO, but then he went to pin Seth, and then this week he had him laid out with the RKO. So I think you have sufficiently moved on from the win at the last pay-per-view. I would say so too, yeah. Raw Underground. Aleister Black is just killing time, beating dudes up, and then he rips off the eye patch. Miracle healing. I mean, I don't know who the physician is that's been tending to Drew McIntyre and Aleister Black, but... Rey Mysterio's got to hook up with that guy. Get that triceps fixed in a week. I mean, I think in Aleister Black's case, like, I think sitting in a dark room is probably kind of healthy for your, uh, an eye injury. Is it just me? I kind of like the eye patch on him. I thought it gave this guy a little cool look, or was it too cartoony for you? I I mean, maybe off, out of the ring he could have, but in a, in a real fight, especially, like, if you're going to do an MMA-style fight, it's too much, like, uh, Jean-Pierre... Lafitte, the which this company did do in yeah. a shoot raw underground. 
Kevin Owens enters, and Kevin Owens was like uh, Tank Abbott with extreme cardio that was just going to go and go and go and brawl with this dude who is a kickboxer. And they rolled to the floor, and Black got shoot back body dropped and then driven into the apron, and Shane McMahon... Throws to throws to break that's like you would do in, in, a, in a real fight. Yeah, I these, ad, these ads are sick. <laughs> yeah, I I mean you know to this day like we we still really had yet to have a clear set of instructions on like what constitutes an end to a Raw Underground match, what constitutes a, a break in action for a commercial break. I mean, really, it's just been Shane McMahon deciding on a whim. This fight is too sick. It's too sick. We got to end it. Or they're outside, um, and th- but this is not the type of outside where we have to continue. It's the type of outside where we have to go to commercial break. Um, it's it's confusing, and and essentially, like these are just like again, little vignettes to let you see these guys like fight. Um, I'm also curious to know like what instructions they give the the two of them. Like, hey, we want you to have like a shoot style fight. Um, how much are they like practicing for it? How much actually feels a lot more real than usual? How much is improvised? Like, because a lot of this looked really rough. Uh, yeah, I think they're, it feels like they are really just thrown out there with like kind of the, the goal in mind of what the segment is to accomplish. But I don't think they are uh, choreographing these uh, in any significant detail. I think that it's, um, you know, they are there to replicate a fight using their own styles. Yeah. I thought in that sense, like, I mean, it was great to see Aleister Black, like actually, you know, use a lot of his legitimate techniques, but Owens, I thought, um, was able to integrate sort of like his wrestling brawling style pretty well here. You know, he actually looked like a legit tough guy, um, who had very little technique, but was able to like best, you know, a guy who relied maybe too much on technique. Randy Orton complains to Adam Pierce who assures him that Drew has left the building. Randy says, your word means nothing to me. And, I mean, point to Randy Orton. Yeah. I, mean, I was going to come back. Mm-hmm. Shayna Baszler against Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan. One whom lives to riot, the other riots to live. <laughs> riots to live and lives to riot. Wow. Like yin and yang. Shayna tries for a Kimura, and we've got Nia Jax mocking Baszler, saying, I can do that. Liv gets tagged in and gets knocked from the apron. Uh, they uh, Shayna does, and then they get the numbers advantage. Morgan then kicks away at Baszler. She's hit with a gut wrench and a knee strike, and Nia's just giving her, that's not good. You've done better. So Baszler lifts her up, distracted with Nia's catcalling, and gets caught with a sunset roll-up as Liv pins Shayna Baszler in two and a half minutes, as Baszler's upset and Nia laughs at her partner. Yeah. So, um, furthers the story. I mean, has Shayna lost before? She has, right? Um, Has she been pinned before? I'm sure she has, but I'd have to look that up. Yeah. Um, It was interesting that of the two, that it was Shayna that they had take the fall. And Naya got the no contest. Right. Uh, it's just this this type of feud, right? Um, I really don't have that much to say that we haven't already said. It's like, 
It's so tiring. Aren't, aren't you excited to see a full tag match now? No. Because um, that's what the point of this was. Oh, Make you excited for this tag title match between these two teams. Right. Yeah. Owens and Black continue to fight. Black went for an arm bar. He's thrown into a wall. And then Owens and Black just start attacking the people on the floor. Yep. It's a, it's a big match. It's a big fight. Nia takes on Ruby and Liv Morgan. Jax is busy dealing with Shayna and misses a splash in the corner. Morgan's attacking her. Jax goes to do the Shayna Baszler spot, stomping the elbow of Riot, but misses. She lifts her up, Ruby, for the Samoan drop, and Liv blind tags herself in as the lights flicker. Liv hits her code breaker, and the lights go out. And all of a sudden, this, this neat, distressed Retribution logo appears in mass around the Amway Center. So they have taken over the uh, the graphics department as well. Well, that's the first thing you target, isn't it? Well, I guess it's lights that you target first, and then um, you hack your and, way into the graphics. And you get a, a media kit to send out. What's nice is that, I mean, this is a, 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 a terrorist group that is so, I think, committed to the motif of anarchy that even a digital graphic they wanted to make look like graffiti. So it, they've gone past real graffiti and they've decided to instead do digital graffiti, which is, I mean, way easier to clean up and, I mean, a bit easier to achieve. Let's also identify them as Michael Cole does, the group that refers to themselves as retribution. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, by the way, like, I'm, I'm looking up Cage Match. I mean, Shayna hasn't lost has she not until since like becky at wrestlemania i mean you right. know the, these circumstances are kind of like very silly of course but still you know Shayna getting pinned i feel is still a big deal yeah i was surprised that they did it especially where you had naya and Shayna. but you're kind of doing the story that it's like naya is the muscle and she's more so the protected one even though Shayna is like your your shooter but they i mean they they opted to have Shayna get pinned i mean it would have been very silly to have your baby faces lose in a handicap match it was kind of bizarre to have your two baby faces against one heel i thought it was just such a uh, not a good way to build up this this match in any way i hate the whole story yeah. just anyway anyway okay cool but let us get back to retribution way well, you may have missed this speech but I did not. No, I, didn't I don't. I didn't miss it. Um, <laughs> I, I was fully aware of what you were referring to. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have a voice filter, but bear with me. This Thunderdome is only a facade. Behind the mountain of screens is the same foundation, the same WWE as before, the same behemoth that discarded and disowned us to survive in an unfair world where the powerful continue to grow and are, we are left to feed on nothing but the scrap of contempt. Now, big dude in the back comes in, who I think we can all, uh, by reasonable deduction, uh, believe is Donovan Dijak. Uh, I mean, I've seen the man's cameo. <laughs> so, yeah, it sounds just like it. All right. So then in the words of uh, Donovan Hijack... <laughs> Great. But contempt is a powerful motivator. We are driven to destroy, to lay waste to every superstar, trademark, 
and every fan blinded. You cannot see what you don't have. So the locusts of contempt will feed upon all of you. The darkness of retribution will seep into the pores of all the superstars and your so-called universe. We are retribution. <laughs> Damn. Wow. I just love that this is what <laughs> this is what anarchy is is verbalized as. <laughs> yeah. Um I think it's like it's anarchy for somebody who's never like watched the news before, maybe. Like it's 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 a type of anarchy that maybe you would see I don't know in a cartoon show, a video game. Yeah, maybe. But uh so we actually know what retribution are after now. Or at least we have a bit of an idea, right? They've yeah, they they, they are representing the talent that was all cut during the pandemic that were discarded and disowned to survive in an unfair world while the powerful continued to grow. That would be quite the quite the um reasoning, right? But if it is Donovan Dijak, okay, and people currently signed to NXT, what do you think the the reasoning would be? What they that they've been left on NXT? Yeah, it's not even like you're taking a guy who was under contract and left off TV and just is working in the performance center. I mean, which is, you know, if you're if you have those aspirations, of course, it's a little frustrating. But it's like, man, you're you're under contract. You're you're paid to work out. It's not the worst thing during a pandemic uh, too. Uh, yeah, it's like, man, we're stuck on this Wednesday night show. I'm working with Keith Lee on NXT. You know, like as the weeks progress, I, I do get the sense, like especially now that they have talking roles, I do get the sense that these aren't just placeholders anymore, and that like we are going to see Dijak getting revealed. We might. Oh see yeah, I, I think I think these would probably be the people. It was kind of like the those, those. Yeah. So yeah, so then you have to really think about like, okay, what what is this, the story going to be? And it has to be, you know, him feeling. Like he's been left out and for not being called up. Is that right? So Retribution is a team of people from NXT that are upset that they haven't been called up yet. Is that it? That's quite the story to be telling for your third brand. Yes. Okay. Or maybe maybe they just feel that um, this is an ethically compromised company and they're really going to get into the geopolitics that WWE has inserted itself <laughs> in for capital gain in a culture that is more so aware of these uh, problems that exist on a worldwide level that WWE may be uh, encouraging. So the locusts are independent contractors and they want the ability to have full benefits. Like this is exactly what the Andrew Yang tweet was. Except the locust part. Maybe Andrew Yang's going to be their their spokesman. Whoa, Andrew Yang. The the retribution is the Yang gang. Damn, way better than retribution. Holy shit! And then the Yang gang builds up to the ultimate showdown: a match with the ultimate company guy, the leader of the chain gang, John Cena. The Yang gang and the chain gang. Yeah, maybe Jimmy Yang will make an appearance. Yeah, and uh, Kip James can come, and him and Road Dog can revitalize the James gang. Hmm. All right, we've gone long enough with this. This was Retribution. Yeah, 
Yeah, it um, you know, it's it week after like as the weeks progress, it, it's becoming a more and more a, of an in, insignificant part of the show. Uh, so I don't know. It's it's more of a minor annoyance at this point. I mean, if anything, they help the show because they interrupt matches that people don't really care about. So I mean, they never <laughs> interrupted these... our finish with Naya. Yeah, they don't really like interrupt these like pay per views for some reason. You know, like we had a main event, uh, title match. They didn't come and interfere with that one. I think they were rather conscientious, and uh, if anything, they kind of helped the show move along. They got Ric Flair to uh, go home during this pandemic when they, the lights went out for the punt. Might have actually saved Ric Flair. Maybe Orton can't see in the dark. Missed the head. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so we go to the announcers, okay? This message was like, you, we are coming for you. You are under attack. <laughs> and the reaction is... I swear to God, this is the reaction. Imagine if this had been how the announcer sold the the NWO in 96. Joe says, it's good to hear a mission statement from them. And Michael Cole, with all the the anxiety and stress, says, it's going to be interesting to see what Retribution has in store for us in the coming weeks. Now, coming up, uh, Sarah Shriver's with the Mysterios. Imagine, like, CNN coming on, like, boy, it's going to be interesting to see what the Taliban has in store for us. But now we've we've got to get to a, a family that has just found out <laughs> how to grow bananas in the middle of the winter. <laughs> Sarah Schreiber, over to you. <laughs> and Schreiber was with the Mysterios, who will not be scared away by Murphy. They will be in Dominic's corner. Remember that. And they're all uh, they're all in unison to help Dominic. Black and Owens. Uh, this is like Peter Griffin versus uh, the uh, is it the chicken. They, I don't this kept show. going. Okay. Owens hits him with a stomp, a headbutt, and then he blocks on one side, and then on the other takes a head kick, and then out of nowhere, this is like Jaws emerging from the water. It's Dava Kato who attacks Kevin Owens. He slams him down, choke slams Alistair Black. Both Owens and Black are left for dead as Daba Kato is standing tall. Yeah. And do you think we see Daba Kato at all involved in this feud? No, this guy's like the monster. He only comes out like once a month. I mean, he's like kind of the retribution blackout for Raw Underground. You know, what do you need? A conclusion? Without giving a real conclusion, you call one of these guys. You call it Dabakato or you call, I don't know, who's another kind of like muscle that they rely on. Anyway, no result, really. It's just, these are just fight scenes. That's it. Yeah. I mean, if anything, this was like a showcase of Dabakato. Like Owens, I guess uh, the story is Owens and Black. I mean, they'd been fighting for five hours and then they were brutally attacked. But um, it's an Iron Man match. I guess so. Yes. Orton is holding his jaw. He's in immense pain, which Charlie feels good time for an interview. She walks up to this guy and Drew attacks him again, rams the jaw into the turnbuckle. They get into the spare interview ring and he sets up in the corner, hits a third Claymore, I guess, to match the kicks to the head slash jaw from a couple of weeks ago. And... I mean, Samoa Joe, one of the announcers brought it up that kind of feel sorry for Randy Orton. I mean, yes, this man is 
portrayed as the villain, but you kind of did. It's like, man, this dude can't catch a break tonight. Yeah, if you're if you side with the villain, sure. I I personally didn't. I mean, like you said, John, this was to balance what Orton had done to to Drew with the three punts, uh, three punts for three Claymores. So I thought it was like, yeah, I don't know, it was balanced. So maybe this is going to be some rule of three for the pay per view. Hmm. Maybe it's like um, first person to hit three of your finishers wins. Three strikes and you're out. Okay. Three strikes and you're up. Or maybe no finishers. Oh, okay. They're going to do the uh, the El Desperado stipulation. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Orton is... Uh, okay, so Orton is out. And the main event, Street Fight, Dominic Mysterio, Murphy. Now, this was strange. The announcers are stunned that Rey Mysterio and the Mysterios are out with, with Dominic. They've got his back. It felt like they were not on the same page here after the promo that established they were coming out with Dominic. They were going to be in his corner. They literally said that. And they're all wielding kendo sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Including Aaliyah, who feels like, Aaliyah, we're all doing this, including you. And she's kind of just got to go along with, with mom and, and Dominic. Uh, the fact that, like, she's taking a bigger role here, I mean... uh. I don't know. Maybe, what do you think? Maybe she, maybe she'll join Seth. <laughs> Man, I don't know. But it's just like it's so strange, you know, that family. And I just remember thinking like the happy birthday thing, and all of a sudden this person's like beating Buddy Murphy with a kendo stick. It's it's crazy how time flies. Uh, they they laid out this match very effectively. Uh, Murphy goes for the attack, and then they go to the floor. They fight around the announcer's desk, and then Dominic climbs on top of the LED screens. And dude, he got some height on this crossbody to set up the commercial break. Great looking angle, like holy from Christ, below, looked really good. Yeah, Murphy throws Dominic's head onto the ramp, and he takes over in the ring. He applies the abdominic stretch, and <laughs> he reverses it, and then tosses Murphy to the floor to get out. Then. Dominic's shoulder is repeatedly run into the post, and he ties Dominic into the ropes, reprising the visual when they destroyed Dominic. But this time, Ray takes the kendo stick away, allowing Angie and Aaliyah to free Dominic, and then Dominic runs. Murphy's on the floor. He takes a sunset bomb with Dominic sliding to the floor, putting Murphy through a table. The angle at which they shot this with and the sound it made, it looked incredible. Very satisfying. And, you know, you have to remember, like, this This is all taking place within, like, what you would consider the finish of this match. So everything was happening in a, at an incredibly high pace. Dominic hits the frog splash. Murphy kicks out. And then Murphy is the one tied in the ropes. Dominic starts using the kendo stick. Ray says, let me get in there. He looks at the camera. Seth, I hope you're watching, you son of a bitch. And Dominic and Ray beat the shit out of Murphy. They expose the skin. And then Angie and Aaliyah enter with the kendo sticks. Aaliyah is down to attack. Angie is feeling like she has been handed a loaded gun and has been told to shoot this man in the head. She reluctantly attacks Murphy. And then she loves it. And then it was the ultimate WWE filmed attack the camera cuts the zooms it was 
I I passed out. I had to revive myself. See, uh, this was a case where I actually welcomed the camera cuts and zooms because I mean, the scene we were witnessing was so incredibly outrageous. Anyway, <laughs> we're seeing the Mysterio family, Angie and Aaliyah included, using kendo sticks to beat the shit out of Buddy Murphy. At that point, it's like, man, this is like the best caricature of what professional wrestling is ever. And you throw in like WWE camera cuts and crazy zooms in, in zoom ins and, and outs. It just made it perfect to me. They just destroyed Murphy. Michael Cole said he's never seen anything like this in his career. And all four end the show destroying Murphy, who felt like he was just beaten to a pulp. And this was like ultimately you I guess you still have Ray and Seth at some point. Mm-hmm. But this very much felt like the finality to this for now. At least Murphy. Like this almost felt like the write off of Murphy. It did, yeah. You might get a scene where like, you know, Seth, like once again, I don't know, he humiliates Murphy Murphy for some reason. But I think he's probably done with this like what is it, uh Messiah thing. He's probably gonna be split from Seth, perhaps, on, on a different show, which is kind of unfortunate for him, but you know what? Like He's not a main character in this. He's a supporting character. And I love the way this show ended. You know, like so rarely, like so often in, in, in the wrestling. The baby faces like dominated. Like the, yeah. the baby faces stood strong. And this was like the big revenge, at least on Murphy. And there's the outstanding issue with Seth. This poor family, what they've had to go through. Their husband, the dad, lost his eye multiple times. Lost it once, came back in another match, and lost it again. How do you even do that? How do you lose an eye twice? He did it. His Their son got beat up like crazy with the kendo stick. So this was a scene where, like, <laughs> it was crazy just seeing, like, non-wrestling mom and, you know, child in, in Aaliyah coming in here, joining. Uh, like A family beatdown of a man. Um, You expect, like, a heel to come in. You expect Seth to come in. You expect something to go wrong. But no, like this beatdown just keeps going on and on. It's like it was like a family, like a family kind of like, um, what do you call that? Like dance, <laughs> like at a wedding, you know, like when your whole yeah. family gets in on it. They should have had Mary J. Blige playing over top. A family affair. That's right. Yeah. And then the show ended. It was like it was an amazing ending. That was raw. Um what 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 a what a show this was. I mean, it was um all all over the place. It definitely was. I I I really liked the the ending of the show. To me like that that always like will change maybe how I feel about the whole thing. Um Dominic, I think really this entire storyline he's really delivered. So, uh I think he's done great. Uh, I I'm sick of all the tag teams breaking up. Um what they did with Orton I think was pretty you know, good. They they did they did make it clear. Like last week, it was very much like it's up in the air if the match will happen. They did make it definitive that you're getting Drew and Randy Orton. That I mean, it should be the big match ahead of Roman Reigns and Jey Uso at the pay per view. So you do know you're getting that. They've made those two you know quite balanced. Like for Randy Orton, I think a character who's been pretty well protected like this entire summer as like a top villain. For him to take this level of damage on this show, um. And really, the same for Drew McIntyre on on his show where he took all those punts. For the both of them to, to to inflict and take as much damage as they have, I think you've really built like a good feud of these two facing each other as like their toughest competition that they've had. 
Um, so I think that's in good shape. You know, what they're doing with Cedric is interesting. Um, we'll see where it goes. It's, it's, it's a fine mid-card development. Yeah, the did not enjoy the, the handicap setup for that tag title program. I did not think Peyton Royce and Billy Kay was uh, very good tonight. Um, you know, I, I I think that the Orton-Drew McIntyre program, that's that, that that's a strong point of the show. Dominic has been, like you said, I think he's been, he's become like a big part of Raw. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for how he is delivered. Like, go over all the segments he's in and the wide range of types of segments that he's been asked to do. And like, can we come up with any where he's, he's swung and missed? Not tonight. Cause he hit, like he's out there on live there. TV doing this. Like these are live shows and you know, he's, he's in there with talented guys, but you know, he's, he's doing what he needs to. For sure. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the, the jury's still out on whether or not he can like be effective in a story on his own without his dad. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe we'll find out, but I, I think as a part of this storyline, he's been tremendous. All right. Well, let's go over to the forum and see what everyone had to say about tonight's show on a scale of one to 10. The show gets a pass a 5.08. Okay. It was that kendo stick attack that put it over the top. Paul from New Jersey writes the iconic powers explode. I thought Billy and Peyton had a pretty good match, but have no credibility as it pertains to them. I give it less than a year before they're put back together. Glad that Cedric Alexander finally turned on Murphy. They should have a match every week. He's so talented. Maybe McIntyre and Retribution and Adam Pierce. Between McIntyre Retribution, Adam Pierce is going to be in big <laughs> trouble. Five out of ten. Looking forward to facing off against Ways Cowboys in post fantasy football. Are you oh, doing yeah. fantasy football? Uh, I entered. I entered us, and uh, we have a team. Uh, we. You have nothing. You don't have to do okay. anything. I don't think I have to do anything either. Honestly. Okay. I was asked to join the post fantasy football pool. I've never seen a football game in its entirety in my life. I don't really. Even, I don't even know how the, how the positions work. I don't know how football works, but uh, I have a team that I'll probably be auto running. <laughs> um, what are you talking about? Join. I, I, I could see you really getting deep into this. I have no idea. I don't even know what's going on. So, uh, But if you want to join in, I do feel like it's probably too late. But maybe you can just watch along with us. You can find the post-fantasy football thread in the forum, forum.postwrestling.com. Davey has a team as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Although I think he thinks it's football. Soccer. Okay. <laughs> All right, we go up next to, uh, damn, I lost my place. Uh, we go to Nick. Nick from Lansing, who says, man, Vince just hates seeing friends getting along right now. Cedric turned on Ricochet and Apollo. Peyton turned on Billy. Seth turned on Buddy. Garza turned on Andrade and Zelina. Bailey turned on Sasha. Alexa seems to be turning on Nikki. And are there any I missed? Um, That's most of them. Yeah, Shayna and um, Naya, I guess. Uh, okay, he says, uh, blah, 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 blah. I thought it was an overall airtight, oh, sorry, <laughs> not airtight, all right show, um, and I did actually like Cedric joining the Hurt Business. KO and Alistair in the underground was entertaining, and two people with cre- who are creative with the environment, even if breaking it for commercials and other matches was weird. Yeah, I didn't mind that at all. I think Alistair Black, like, that. that's a type of segment that can... Uh, enhance him, show off a lot of what he can do. I don't. I, I definitely love seeing like a different style uh, that guys would have, have to wrestle in. 
I just wish that the matches actually meant something and we weren't just seeing, you know, pretty pictures. I think they're at the point now. Like, we're long past the novelty of Raw Underground that it does somewhat need that. Like, it serves a certain function to... You, you can heat up some people by just having them go in there and dominate some people. Like, I, I do see a value in it, but I'm with you. I think that you do need that that structure and the purpose to it because you, you coasted by for the first few weeks of just the novelty of what the hell is this, and we're way past that. We're, you know, a month or two into this. At this point, it's just a convenient place for, like, guys actually in feuds to have backstage brawls, essentially. When I think the concept is, you know, still like it's I think it's strong enough that you can actually create a tournament around it. If you really want to, like, you know, at the end of it, push what's his name? Um, Daba Kato. Daba Kato, Riddick Moss. You know, Titus O'Neil. He'd probably be an open opening rounder. But yeah, like give me a direction. You know, who am I actually supposed to be focusing on? Or am I just going to see occasional guys like Dabakato show up once in a while and before I forget about them? You know what this is ultimately going to lead to? Brawl for all. The, the prince himself having a fight. Shane. Oh. And then he'll beat everybody. I do hope that there's, instead of Shane, I hope that at some point this will be like Jordan's debut in these very protected fights. Yeah. Like that guy at some point has to like, you know, he's always stuck outside, and then he's going to venture in there. Yeah, for sure. Yep. When he's ready. When he's ready. Uh, Alexander from Portland. What is – I think you just read this one. Uh, ben from Vancouver. So are we to believe that Kevin Owens and no, Alistair – No, actually, Black- I didn't read it. It, just, it. it makes a similar point, though, about the teams. Okay, right. Um, yeah. Congratulations go to Drew McIntyre, who took three punts and recovered in a week. While he returned far too early, showing up in the arena in an ambulance was a fantastic visual. WWE has uh, such a fascination with ambulances lately. I'm all for it. Five out of ten. Yeah, that ambulance has gotten – they've gotten all their use out of these ambulances. I think this is the fourth or fifth appearance of an ambulance in the last month. They're expensive to rent. They probably own their own at this point. I mean, it's quite the investment then if you're Drew McIntyre that says, you know what? When I attack Randy, this is how I'm going to enter the arena. I'm going to rent one of these things to come in. Well, did he rent it or did he just come straight from the hospital? I guess he wouldn't have been hospitalized for two weeks. That's that's theft. Like, you don't just get discharged from a hospital and get the keys to the ambulance. True. Hey, go find your attacker now. <laughs> we go to Ben from... Wrestling is just weird. Ben from Vancouver. So are we to believe that KO and Black fought for 25 minutes in the underground? Yes. Shouldn't Keith Lee be pissed at Drew for causing him to lose by DQ twice now to Orton? Also, why do we st- still know nothing about Lee? Joe called him a monolith, and Cole called him enthusiastic and astonishing. Great character development. That's three things we know about him. What's Ben complaining about? He's an enthusiastic and astonishing monolith. That's all you need. Uh, actually, like the Cedric turn in the Eight Man, the highlight of the show for me. Shayna and Nia's acting is not good. The show really fell off a cliff in hour three. And Alki from Australia, a 5 out of 10 show, which is way, way up from the norm for me on Raw. I've been, I've been hanging to listen to your show tonight. As soon as I saw Raw, says, payback's a bitch. Ray, as I'm, Ray. Oh, as Ray says, sorry, payback's a bitch. As I'm dying to hear John say, payback's a bitch, bitch. 
<laughs> as only John can. Well, there you go, Alki. I'm sure I lived up to your high expectations. Uh, there you go, everyone. What a episode of Raw. Um, I don't know. Like, did you like this show overall? Like, was this? I'll say this about Raw. Like, there's there, there's certainly elements of it that that work. There's plenty that don't. Yeah. But I will say, like, the pacing of Raw, like, it feels very fast moving. It's like there are very few lulls in the show. It's not like we're getting those three segment matches that, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Street Profits are taking on Andrade and Garza for 20 minutes on TV. It's like the match times are kept pretty short. They've got a ton of elements. Um, yeah. In that sense, I, I do feel like, you know, Raw Underground has helped things in the third hour. Mm-hmm. You know, just just to really, if anything, just limit the the kind of like monotony of the same setting of some of these matches that are meaningless going 20, 20 minutes. So, but the thing is, like Raw Underground could at this point be more than just you know something to break that up. That's true. Um, this week, um, the ratings will be delayed because of the holiday, so it'll probably be Wednesday. I'm guessing that we'll, we'll probably get them. Um, and we'll see if there's uh, a drop just because of it being a holiday Monday. But, you know, every like who knows what a, a holiday Monday necessarily means. Does that mean that a giant amount of people are out uh, or or not? We'll, we'll see if that affects uh, Raw's number at all. But not too far away from from football as well. So they'll have that to contend with on Mondays. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll have to research how to play football, I guess, as part of this thing. Um, are you excited for all the games start? I, I guess the season starts on, on Thursday and then Sunday you've got like 85,000 games to watch. Well, I mean, um, who's your team? Well, the, my team, the Cowboys clearly. Oh, okay. They're playing the, uh, they're playing LA on Sunday night. Yeah. I think they, they dubbed my team. The, I don't know. Somebody mentioned my name was my team name was the Cowboys, but who who knows? But I mean, Toronto's basketball season might not be lasting very very much longer honestly so i need something else to pretend to watch double header next monday night on espn way you've got the the steelers against the giants followed by the tennessee titans against the denver broncos huge matchups definitely huge matchups um, this is crazy they're playing it like all the football stadiums like everywhere it's crazy empty no, they're opening them up to like every stadium. It's different what they're allowing, but they're they're opening them up to fans. How do you, oh, so you don't know like capacity? Or... I, I think every stadium has set their number at like di- different levels. It's not like one thing across the board. I don't think that um, the Cowboys have released what the number is going to be. So I think people are assuming it's going to be some gigantic allowance that they're they're going to have. At least I, as of a few days ago, they hadn't announced it. I mean, I will say, like, whatever happens with all that, I think might be a good sort of, like, um, indication of where WrestleMania may stand, you know, and whether... That's true. Yeah. Yep. Like, hopefully everything's okay. Well, they are going to be playing at uh, SoFi Stadium, so that is that is one of the stadiums there, so... Um... Oh, here's a whole list. Uh, there, there are a bunch that are not allowing fans for the first two home games... Cincinnati, 6,000 fans, 6,000. Uh, th- there are a bunch here that are not allowing fans for the first two home games. Jacksonville, uh, right next to Daly's Place, is allowing 25% capacity, which is 17,000 fans uh, at home games until further notice. Are there any that are higher than that? that, that, that. That's on the higher end. 
Yeah. I, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm assuming there are similar social distancing rules while you're there. Like, are they doing pods? Like these, I, I would, I would assume so given that it's such a, a low capacity. It's actually not uh, like a ton that are, are opening mass them mandatory? up. And will they know. be enforced? Well, that's whether they're the NFL. Is sl- this is from a uh, KSAT.com. The NFL is slated to kick off this week with empty stadiums and masks on the sidelines as the prominent theme of the start of the season and possibly its entirety. But there are obvious questions fans are wondering, and the league and franchises will have to answer these as the season progresses. And yeah, the, uh, yeah. School well, starting we'll back see. up. The NFL starting back up. I mean, a lot of the ants will learn a lot about this this virus. It's a big. Big fall season coming up in terms of uh, what happens. So hopefully, mm-hmm. hoping for the best. Okay, that's going to wrap up the show. Wayne and I are back. Tuesday night, Rocky 2 review for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. It's a packed Tuesday. Uh, check out Andrew Thompson's interview with Vampiro. We'll have a written version on the site as, as well as the YouTube version. Just look up Andrew Thompson interviews and subscribe. It costs you nothing to subscribe to some of the best interviews going in the industry. Plus, up next with Braden and Davey, special Tuesday night edition. Andrew is incredibly close to uh, 300 subscribers right now on YouTube. I encourage everybody to uh, give him that boost. Take him well over 300. The man should probably be at 30,000 by now. And I think he'll let's, get there eventually. But Let's get him to 30,000 by tomorrow. Let's just freak out Andrew when he goes to look at his YouTube channel tomorrow and he sees an astonishing number. So everyone, Andrew Thompson interviews on YouTube. Go subscribe Let's see how many people are listening oh, to Oh, you know show. what? We're, you're already too late. If you wanted to be part of the first 300, you're already too late because the man is at 306. But you could be part of the first 350. You could be part of the first 400. When this guy becomes the next Ariel Hawani of professional wrestling and, you know, blows up, well, way more popular than any of us, you can say, I subscribe to this guy's YouTube channel when he only had 300 subscribers. Do it now, everybody. Good night. Goodbye. We'll speak with you Tuesday.